Give your Bibles, turn to the book of St. John, chapter 4. If you were here this morning in Sunday school, you'll recognize this passage from this morning. St. John, chapter 4. Our text is verse 20 through 26. I hesitate to say this because I, I want to be careful. These are, if you have a red letter edition Bible, these words will be in red. But remember, this is all God's word, okay? Whether it's red or black, doesn't matter. But Jesus is actually speaking here while he was here on earth. And in John chapter 4, let's begin in verse 20. John 4, verse 20 through 26. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called the Christ, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, saith unto her, I that speak unto thee, Am he. What a passage. We're beginning a new series tonight. And the topic we're going to try to elaborate on the next few weeks is the topic of worship. I did a word search on my Bible program this week. And in the King James Bible, the word worship is used about 108 times. The first time it's used in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, where the Bible says, Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come unto you Again. Now I do want to qualify that even though that's the first time the actual word worship is used in the King James Bible, it's not the first time they worshiped. And it tells me from what Abraham said, it must have been a regular practice in their lives. 
Because those young men that traveled with Abraham and Isaac didn't ask any questions. Well, what do you mean worship? What is that? It's evident they already knew. But it's, that's the first time it's mentioned. The last time <clears throat> it's mentioned is Revelation 22, verse 9. It's the angel speaking to John. He says, Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the saying of this book, Worship God. So we have the word worship at least 108 times. Now, by the way, there are other words for worship, to bow down, to fall down, uh, and all of these mean worship. But the word worshipped with an E-D on the end is used approximately 70 times in the Bible. And the first time it's used is Genesis 24, verse 26. It says, And the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. So that man was Abraham's servant. And Abraham had sent him out to find a, a wife for his son. And when God answered his prayers and he realized God's hand was on it, the thing he did, he bowed his head down and he worshipped the Lord. Now the last time the word worshipped with an E-D on it is used is, of course, in Revelation 19.4. Now, by the way, it's not actually the last time the word worship is used in Revelation, but it's the last time it's used in reference to God. Because the Bible mentions those who worship the false beast and the dragon, okay? But we're talking in reference to God. Revelation 19.4. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. I was going to mention to Jesse as he made his joke about the traditional song. Uh, unless you looked at a red back hymnal, you didn't know that. It's, it's called that, okay? And uh, But it amazes me. We talk about worship. Did we not? You drive down the road and you can pass different churches. Some will say traditional worship. Some will say contemporary. Some will have traditional at certain time of morning, contemporary later on the same day. Some only have traditional as us. Some contemporary, or that the name they use. Let's put talk about that. But I want to suggest to you tonight, worship is traditional, and it's always contemporary. It's always up to date. So we talk about worship in our churches. We, the fact of the matter is we encourage worship in our churches. And I think for the most part, we believe we worship when we come to our churches. And sometimes we really do. 
So our topic is going to deal with what is biblical worship and what is not. I know when we think about worship, we think about things like singing, preaching, going to church, praying. But hope you realize that all of those things by themselves are not worship. And certainly they can serve to stimulate worship. And I think we ought to carry them out in the spirit of worship. But in and of themselves, they are not worship. You may have heard of this fellow named Job. In chapter 1 of the book of Job, he loses everything he has, including all of his children. Notice what it says in Job 1, verse 20 and 21. Then Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down on the ground, and did what? He worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Cursed be the name of the Lord. That's not what he said. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I apologize, Jeremy. If you're looking for that verse, I didn't have my notes, okay? It came to me this afternoon late. Now look at those verses in Job chapter 1, 20 and 21. And I ask my question is, where's the piano music? Where are the, as Jess is what the traditional hymns? Where are the contemporary hymns? Where's the preaching? In fact, isn't it true? Now you don't need to say it out loud, but I know it's true. How many times did we come to church and we don't feel like worshiping? Job had just lost everything he had, including, including all of his children. And what's his first reaction? He fell down and he worshiped God. Now I forgot we didn't have the verses on the PowerPoint. It's my fault. But he didn't say, cursed be the name of God. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I had to ask myself a question. Job, what do you have to worship about? Other than your wife, you've lost everything you have. You know what Job reminds me of? Worship's not about us. Worship is all about God. It's all about God. So those things like hymns and special singing and praying and preaching. And if those things that we all believe to be worship are not really worship, my question is, what is then? What is worship? And I hope over the next few weeks we will at least 
get some kind of a grip on what the answer is. Now, by the way, back to Job real quick, and I'll move on. And this is one of my favorite passages, because here's what I realize. When Job lost everything he had, the final word was worship. That's all that was left. So as I look at this topic, and I consider this topic, I think it's very important that we understand the nature of true biblical worship. Now, I do want to say that a lot of what goes on in church is anything but worship. Anything but worship. And I hope that in these next few weeks, we will discover why true biblical worship matters. Now, our text tonight is from John chapter 4. A very familiar passage. We've all read it before. We read it this morning in Sunday school. In fact, we looked at the context of these verses this morning. And basically what happened, what was going on at this time in the ministry of Christ, uh, the sudden prominence of Christ uh, began to show evidence that his followers were growing. And the Pharisees saw that and it caused them to take special notice of him and his ministry. John the baptizer was gone. They thought, well, we take care of, you know, he's, he's no longer a problem. But now they've got Jesus and now Jesus is baptized more than John did and they got a problem. And I mentioned this morning, Jesus was not afraid of anyone. But we have to remember because Christ was working on God's schedule, he was the one who knew how, when, and where his ministry would end. So until that day came about, appointed by God, he knew he had to live carefully. So he withdrew himself from that conflict until his hour. He leaves Judea, and he goes back to Galilee. So that's the context of our verses tonight in John 4. I went through there earlier this week in that text, and I underlined the word worship and worshiper. And if I counted it correctly, and I hope I did, that word worship, including the word worshiper, appears ten times in these verses. Now let me give you a how to study your Bible inside here. Look for words that are repeated. And our text is worship. And each time the word worship appears in these verses, it's translated, of course, from a Greek word. I'm not, I'm not trying to pronounce it. But the Greek word means to literally to kiss toward. Kiss toward. 
Now, in verse 23 of the text we read, we see the word worshiper, and I included that in the ten times. And this is just a uh, another form of the word in the Greek for worship. But it simply means an endure, adore, one who adores. Do you adore him tonight? Yeah. And by the way, this is the only place that that particular Greek word is used. Not, not the fact that worshiper is not used anywhere, but that particular Greek word. But the word worship was used in ancient tradition of a person kissing the hand of a superior. A person would bow to the ground, bow the head, and kiss the hand of one who was superior to them. The word worship was also used in a sense of bowing down, of prostrating oneself. Now, I came across this principle many years ago, and you heard me say it. Worship is always down. Praise is always up. So a person would bow down before a superior, and they would bow down with a sense of honor, a sense of respect, a sense of awe, and a sense of trust and honor. I looked at my Greek concordance this again this afternoon. The same word was used of a dog licking his master's hand. And the idea there was an image of trust, image of respect, and an image of honor. Now our English word is worship. It is from an old Anglo-Saxon word, and it talks about, it refers to giving someone their worth. Years ago, when I taught the precepts for practice class, I think we learned there, it was worthy ship. Worthy ship, literally. So when we ascribe worship to God, It means that we are ascribing to God His worth. It means that we are stating and we affirm God's supreme value and God's supreme glory. And again, I think of Job. Even in the time of the worst heartbreak, He gave respect and honor to God. So what it means is when we apply those images to God, what the word worship means, it means that we humble ourselves before God. We give Him glory. We give Him honor. We give him respect and we give him all 
and we pay homage to God. My friend, he alone is worthy. It means that we recognize his vastly superior standing and we humble ourselves before him and we give him glory. So at its core, worship is giving. And we're not talking about money here. It's giving honor and respect to the God who deserves it. Excuse me. And my prayer tonight, and any time we gather together for worship, my prayer is that the reason we have gathered in this place is not to hear the preacher preach, not to hear the singer sing, or even gather for church traditions. My prayer is when we come together to worship, that we realize that we are here to humble ourselves before our great God and give Him the glory that He alone deserves. Some years ago, I had a, I don't know, three or four day Experience that other than my salvation was the best thing ever happened to me. I know Jeremy's been on one, Marvin, you have as well, probably more than one. But I'll never forget, our entire day was filled with worship, uh, times of learning. And anytime they had any special singing, they never sang in front of people. They were off to another side somewhere. You never saw them. And I don't know how long it took me to realize the reason was that during those four days, almost four days, they didn't want you to focus on any person. They wanted you to focus on God. They wanted God to show up. And I want to tell you, folks, when real worship happens, God shows up. He's there. And by the way, and I think we've all been guilty of this. We've said in our hearts, or maybe out loud, I am going to church to get a blessing. Oh, wrong reason. We should never go to church to get a blessing. We should come before God every day. Whether it's here together corporately, whether it's home at home privately, but any time we go to worship God, it's not to get a blessing. That's not our motive. Our motive is to, whenever we come together, wherever we go to meet with God, to give glory, to give honor, to give respect, and give reverence to God Almighty. That is the purpose. But let me make sure you understand. We shouldn't come or go to church to get a blessing. We come to worship God, and if we come and worship God the way we ought to, you will get a blessing. It's automatic. When we think about worship, it literally fills the pages 
of God's Word. Now, as I said earlier, it's not mentioned until chapter 22 of Genesis, the actual Word, but it happened long before that. And the problem early on in the book of Genesis, one of the reasons they fell into sin, Adam and Eve, was because they got their eyes off of God and on themselves. They began to worship themselves more than they worshipped God. Now, I didn't search it myself. I'm taking somebody else's word for this. Those who are Greek and Hebrew scholars, they tell me there are over 87 Hebrew and Greek words that the Bible uses to describe the concept of praise and worship. In the Bible, there are over 600 references to praise and worship. In the book of Revelation, God in his grace sort of pulls back the curtain. And he gives us a glimpse of pure worship and glory. Now, folks, I've got to tell you, I can't wait. Look what it says, Revelation 4, 10 and 11. The four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were Created. So all through the Word of God, we find scenes of worship, and I'm convinced they're there to help us to understand better what worship is and what worship is not. And we we need to know as Christians, worship is the absolute non-negotiable of the Christian life. If you are a Christian, you must worship. Let that sink in. In fact, those who are truly born again... And by the way, you can't be a Christian, really, unless you're born again. And we mentioned last week, there are many who claim to be Christian, whose lives don't back it up. That's between them and God. So I want to say tonight that those who are truly redeemed of God cannot help but worship Him. You can't help it. And so worship is to our spiritual lives the most important and essential element to live for God. We must worship. 
And over and over and over again in God's Word, we see examples of things happening in lives of people and their automatic reaction was to worship. It was automatic. So it's it's just as natural for the Christian to worship as it is for us to breathe. We have to have worship. Worship is essential to everything we are. It's essential to everything we do as believers. And that's why it's so important that we understand what worship is so we can do it right. So how do you define worship? Well, the fact of the matter, worship doesn't have an adequate description or definition. And so our only hope is to take a stab at it and hope we come close. We see that in so many areas of life. How do you adequately describe a side of rare beauty? I'm still kind of mad at Adam, I mean Adam, Alan and Lavenda. They went on one of our occasions, didn't take me with them. But thank you so much for sending pictures, we enjoyed them. But you know what Lavenda told me? The pictures don't do it justice. How do you describe what you all saw there? There's so many things in life are that way. How do you describe, tell somebody about a, an amazing flavor you tasted? And I know everything, if you can't describe it, it tastes like chicken, right? <laughs> how do you describe that? How, how do you explain time? You see, worship is kind of like that because worship is better experienced than it is defined. It's hard to find words. William Temple was the Archbishop of Canterbury from 1942 to 1944. And he gives, in the opinion of many, um, probably one of the best definitions, and here's what he says. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God, And all this gathered up in adoration is the greatest of human expression of which we are capable. I spent some time looking at that definition. And a couple of things dawned on me. He spent some time thinking about that. 
And then I went back through it and I noticed some things that were important. And he said that worship, genuine worship, brings life to our conscience. So our conscience is involved. He said it, it feeds our mind. It purges our imagination. It opens our hearts. And it also helps us to devote our will to the purpose of God. And I agree. Worship will awaken our conscience to the holiness of God. Worship will feed our mind with the truth of God. Worship will purge our imagination by the beauty of God. It will open our heart by the love of God. And worship will help us devote our will to the purpose of God. What's it mean? Worship involves our whole being. Our total being. Warren Wisby, for years taught on Back to the Bible, very well known. He spoke at one of our national conventions some years ago. And here's what he says as he defined worship. The believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, and body, to all that God is and says and does worship. So how do you define it? And I thought about this, and I think every preacher would admit you can't define it, but boy, we're going to try. We're going to give it our best shot. And if you Google it, you'll find hundreds of definitions. And the ones that I looked at are not wrong. But each one builds on another, or another, and another. Not that they use somebody else, but worship is so, so tremendous. So I want to look tonight at some of what some have said about worship. This guy, uh, I don't, and I didn't get everybody's name, that, what they said. But this guy was Sam Sasser. He at uh, one time was head of the uh, Pacific Mission Outreach. And here's what he said. Number one, the overflow of a grateful heart under a sense of divine favor. You know what's wrong with our churches? Well, uh, one of the things wrong with our churches today. Every church ought to have a pump up here. Air pump or a water pump, something. And have a hose run to everybody in the church. Because most people come to church, and you know what they want you to do? Pump them up. Pump us up. But true worship doesn't have to be pumped up. It's an overflow of a grateful heart. And I mentioned earlier, look at the scriptures. Look at how many times worship was simply a spontaneous event. God was doing something at that time, and they worshiped him, or they began to think of what God was doing for them, what he had done, and they go into worship. It was spontaneous. 
And I want you to know tonight, church, genuine worship does not have to be pumped up and it doesn't have to be primed. It's an overflow of the heart. Many, 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 many years ago, man, I hate to say that, but it's been that long. Uh, Brother Ken Hall and I decided we're going to take a trip to Dayton. There was a preacher going to be in town up there. And we heard him on the radio. And uh, we decided we want to go see that guy. And I'll never forget our pastor at that time, our first pastor, warned us, don't go, fellas. You are going to be disappointed. And uh, so Ken and I, like most people do, we ignored the pastor's advice. We went anyway. And the place was packed. And all I will say, it wasn't a Baptist church, okay? At Marvin, it wasn't Methodist either. Uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, well, then me it's that, okay? And, uh, and this would have been, you know, late 70s, 76, 78. Charlie, I don't know why you didn't go with this. You were probably smaller than we were. <laughs> but at any rate, we went up there. And the Lord is my witness. The music was unbelievable. And there were only two people in that whole building. It was packed. It was as big as our sanctuary. It was packed out. Standing room only. And there were only two people who weren't up jumping up and down. Well, I saw one. That was Ken. He saw nothing. That was me. And if I didn't know that I'd pulled into a church, I'd have thought I was in some kind of, at that time we called them go-go clubs. Remember that? Now, I'd never been to one. I got saved. Don't, please don't misunderstand me. And man, they were hopping. They were primed. They were being pumped up. But what surprised Ken and I both most, as soon as, as the music stopped, I thought they were all electric people because they all quit. I thought somebody pulled the plug on them. I mean, just like that. Folks, you don't turn worship off and on. And by the way, the message was heretical as well. And our pastor was right. We wish we had never gone. We never went again. But worship is spontaneous. So what does the Bible say about that? You see, because worship is really an outpouring of the heart that's filled with a sense of God's goodness, filled with a sense of God's greatness, and a sense of God's glory. Now I'm going to ask a rhetorical, have you been there? You know you have. You've been sitting at home. Maybe meditating with, on God, maybe uh, reading your Bible, maybe praying, and all of a sudden, you're filled with a sense of God's goodness, a sense of His holiness, and all of a sudden, you do what? You begin to worship Him. To worship Him. David said this, My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made, touching the king. My tongue is a pen of a ready writer. David said, my heart is indicting a good 
matter. And that the Hebrew word for indicting, it means to keep moving. It was often used for the idea was boiling over or bubbling up. And my friend, whenever we are involved in genuine worship, it's because our hearts are boiling over. Our hearts are bubbling up with praise and glory for God. The new King James says, my heart is overflowing with a good theme. That's what it means. Our heart is bubbling over. That's worship. Now think about David writing this psalm and he reflects on the glory and majesty of God. He contemplates on how all that's revealed in God's creation, in his word, in his salvation. And all of a sudden, David's heart boils over with praise and worship to God. And what's true for David is true for us. When our hearts are full, they overflow and worship ascends to God. We cannot help but worship. Psalm 23 verse 5, David writes, Thou prepared a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. So what is biblical worship? One thing it is, it's this. It's an overflow of the heart with the glory of who God is, the glory of what God has done, and whenever we take time to pause and reflect on Him, on His power, on His grace, on His love, on His mercy, on His salvation, And so many of the things that we focus on them, our hearts are filled to overflowing with love and adoration for Him. That is true biblical worship. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Is God worthy of our worship tonight? Yes, He is. Now, by the way, I am so thankful that you are faithful to gather together to worship. And I want to say to you, there's nothing quite like corporate worship coming together to worship our great God and our Savior. But I think all of you know here tonight, we can also worship God at home during the week. And I would pray that Sundays and Wednesdays when we gather together, that this is not the only time you worship. I pray you worship God during the week. It's an overflow of a heart filled with God's grace. Amen. Let me remind you on Tuesday, American Heritage Girl, 5 o'clock, Trail Life as well that night. Uh, Wednesdays are our Bible study, and our focus group meets on Wednesday. Don't forget about that. Um, I think that's all we got coming up this week. Continue to pray for all those on our prayer list. Uh, pray that God would speak to their hearts. And bring healing according to His will and give them the peace they need. Anything else we need to announce? How many are glad you're saved tonight? Amen. Amen. Marvin?
Is that filled up yet? Okay, now listen to me, folks. If you have any questions, see Brother Marvin. And I will tell you, you will not regret if you decide to go. But you need to see Brother Marvin. Uh, and we'll get somebody to sponsor you. Okay? Uh, two things I'm going to tell you about it. The food is out of this world. The physical food, but so is the spiritual food. Okay? <laughs> is that, am I not right, Brother Marvin? Jeremy, you've been there. And... uh so if you, if you think you might want to go, I would encourage you to see Brother Marvin, and that you will not regret it, okay? You will not regret that uh, four-day weekend. So let me leave that with you tonight. Well, folks, I hope and pray you have a great week. And as always, keep God first. Love Him supremely. Let's bow our heads, and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Uh, Brother Allen, would you do that, please?